So it is Trinity Sunday. What would you say if I asked you to turn to the person next to you and explain the doctrine of the Trinity? Don't worry, I am not going to make you do it. But I would bet that there's quite a few of us who wouldn't know where to start. And for those of us who are prepared to give it a go, there'd probably be about as many different answers as there are people in the room. We sang in that wonderful hymn at the beginning of the service, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, Blessed Trinity. And it's that idea of one God in three persons that is the heart of the Trinity. And that's what I'm going to attempt to do justice to over the next 15 minutes or so. The idea that we believe in one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me just say clearly at the start, it's not three gods. Okay, let's get that one clear. The three persons are different, but they are not independent of one another. They are distinct from one another, but they are not divided. And if this is already starting to sound a bit confusing, then please don't worry. Because the fact is that God is God and we are not. So with our limited human understanding, I'm afraid we're never going to grasp the full reality of God. You might have heard of the early Christian theologian Augustine, and he wrote, if you can get your minds around it, it's not God. So let that be an encouragement to us as we begin. God is bigger than we're ever going to fully understand, but we're going to give it a go to get a bit closer. So the concept of Trinity is the way that those early theologians came up with to express the mystery of a God who exists in relationship. And one of the reasons why it took them a long time to develop this doctrine is because the Bible never explicitly uses the word Trinity, but it does bear witness to a God who exists as Father, Son and Spirit in relationship with one another. And so let's turn to the verses from John 16 that Judy has just read to us and explore what they say about our Trinitarian God. Now, these words were spoken by Jesus to his disciples on the night before he died. And as part of the whole conversation he had with them, he's already explained in John 14 that he is going to the Father and that he is going to prepare a place for the disciples to come and be with him. And then he said that the Father will send a spirit to teach them all things and remind them of everything Jesus has said. And in our verses from chapter 16, we again see the Father, the Son and the Spirit working together. Let's first consider the Father. Jesus says in verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. And earlier in John 14, Jesus had spoken about going to his father's house. The father is the source of all things. Provision, protection, authority, all spring from the father. Second, the son. When Jesus says all that belongs to the father is mine, he is testifying to the closeness of relationship between father and son that we see throughout this section of John's gospel. 
no one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The divine Son was sent to earth to carry on the Father's name and work, dying and rising again so that we too can enter into the Father's presence. And finally, the Spirit. Jesus describes him as the Spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth and tell you what is yet to come. The Spirit brings glory to Jesus by making known to us what he receives from the Father and the Son, teaching and guiding us into God's truth. He brings peace and comfort. He is the one who gives wisdom, who gives life. He is the breath of God, the one who came in wind and fire at Pentecost, as we reflected on last week. So far, so good. I think it's reasonably straightforward to think of Father, Son and Spirit separately. It's when we start to bring them together that it becomes harder to get our heads around. Now, as the early church were developing this doctrine of Trinity, they started to write creeds which formed the basis of faith for the church so they could set the boundaries of what Christians believed and make sure that everyone was on the same page in terms of their understanding. One of the church fathers had a great name, Athanasius, and there was a creed that was named after him, the Athanasian Creed, and it's primarily focused on the doctrine of the Trinity, It's not a creed we normally use in church because it's quite long and quite complicated. So bear with me, but I'm going to read you just a short excerpt from it. It says this. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is all one. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. I feel like if Athanasius lived in today's world, he would be dubbed an external processor. You know, someone who does their thinking out loud, or in this case, on a piece of paper or probably parchment. There's a lot of theology there, and we're not going to go into it in detail, but I just wanted to give you a flavour of some of the depth of the complexity that has been written and discussed on this subject right from the very earliest days of the church. Now, to try and make this complexity more understandable. People have come up through the ages with different analogies to compare the Trinity to something we can more easily relate to. I will apologise at this point because Ada used a wonderful video at the 9.30 service which had all of these analogies in cartoon forms and sort of explained them all. I don't have that. I'm going to talk about it myself. But if you go on YouTube later and Google video about the Trinity... Well, okay, we can send it round. Or have a look at the 9.30 service. You have to see this video. What I say is not really that good. Anyway, the different analogies that people have used. Classic analogies include water, ice and steam. So three forms of water. Or a three-leafed clover, where you've got three leaves that make up one clover. But there's a problem with these, because any of those analogies don't do justice 
to the mystery and the complexity of the Trinity. So taking the ice, water and steam, you don't normally get ice, water and steam all in the same place at the same time. What happens is you heat it up, the temperature changes, the ice melts into the water and then it boils and turns into steam. Now, if we've got any clever scientists out there, you said, do you know about triple points? And I know it's possible, but we're talking about normal circumstances. You don't get all three together at the same time. So the danger with that analogy is that you land up thinking about God who exists as the Father at one time, then morphs into the Son another day, and could be the Spirit at a different time. God in different modes at different times. The early church had a name for that. They called it modalism, and they labelled it as a heresy. They said it was not true to the doctrine of Trinity. Looking for a moment at the three-leafed clover, it's a different problem, because each part is not a full expression of the whole. So one leaf is just one leaf. One leaf does not make a whole clover. But we know from the Bible that God the Father is fully God, not just a part of God, And the same is true for the Son and the Spirit. They are each fully God. Guess what? They had a name for this too. They called it partialism. And that's another one that isn't true to the doctrine of Trinity. So what is the Trinity? Well, it's about unity in distinctiveness. Three persons who are different. Each one is fully God. And yet there is only one God. They are intimately connected with one another. Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And this mutual indwelling is central to the relationships within the Trinity. One is always in the other two and the other two are always in the one. It's a community, a fellowship, a relationality with love at its heart. And it's been described as a divine dance. All three are fully present in the same space, but they are distinct. Yes, it is complicated. No, we won't ever fully get our heads around it. And as I said earlier, no analogy is perfect, but I'd like to offer a slightly better suggestion for something that might get us a bit closer to understanding what's going on. And I'm going to invite you to switch to using your ears rather than your eyes. And we might be able to imagine how we can experience three different things in the same space at the same time. And this is where I hope John is going to help me out on the organ. If we have one musical note played, we hear that note occupying the whole of our hearing space at that time. If we hear a second note and a third note, each one separately occupies the whole of our hearing as it is played. If we now hear all three together, you can hear each note distinctly still, but as a triad, they occupy the whole of our hearing space as we hear them played. Let's just hear the triad one more time. So it's no longer three different things in three different places, 
or one blurry, indistinct thing, but it's three notes in one space. It's not perfect, no analogy is, but perhaps it gets us a little bit closer to imagining three persons in one God. I'm going to finish with one more picture that might help you to understand as well. And for this, I'd like you to turn to the front of your service sheet, where you might notice you had a rather lovely picture there. And it is a visual representation of the divine dance of the Trinity. It's an icon by the iconographer Rublev, and it's his icon of the Trinity. As you look from left to right, the three figures in turn represent the Father on the left, the Son in the middle, and the Spirit on the right. You see how the Father on the left has his hand raised in blessing towards the Son. You can imagine him saying, this is my Son, listen to him. Look at the Son in the middle, his hand points on towards the Spirit because the Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son to guide us into all truth. Now look at where their eyes are going. The eyes of the Son and the Spirit look towards the Father, the source of all things. And so on around the table, the divine dance of love, of fellowship, of relationality. But did you notice there is an empty space at the table on our side of the picture? We are invited to join the dance. We are welcomed into the relationships of love that are at the heart of the Trinity. Jesus says, I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. The Spirit also lives with you and will be in you. God, the Holy Trinity, invites you and me in to share in this giving and receiving of love, this dwelling in God and God dwelling in us. Like branches in the vine, we are to remain in him as he remains in us. Our identity is in God, just as the persons of the Trinity are who they are because of their relationships with one another. So our identity is rooted in our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if we are secure in that identity, held firm in the love of God, then that love will quite simply and naturally overflow from us to others as we invite others to join that divine dance, that web of relationality. So this morning, God, the Holy Trinity, invites you to take your place at the table. How will you respond?